This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, an emphatic trigger warning. This episode contains depictions of violence and emotional abuse. Once they find out what they've been experiencing is domestic violence, it comes as a shock to a lot of people. I feel a bit of a fool for, you know, being so blind, but he was so good at it and it was so subtle. I couldn't see it. It was the most annihilating, soul-destroying experience of my life where I was pushed to my absolute mental limits. I didn't know what it was, but I just thought, this is, this is really messed up. Why is this happening to me? Almost one in four Australian women have experienced emotional abuse from a current or former partner. That is more than two million of us. So chances are either you've been through it or you know someone who has. Plenty of domestic abuse and plenty of the most dangerous domestic abuse, nobody gets hit. So how do you know? When there are no bruises and it's purely psychological, what do you call that? What's the language to describe what's happening to you? Ladies, we need to talk about emotional abuse. We're pretty clued up about what domestic violence is in its physical form. Throwing a punch crosses a very clear line. But emotional abuse is a form of domestic violence and it is a lot more subtle, more complicated and insidious. Really at the heart of domestic abuse is humiliation and that really what we're talking about when we talk about emotional abuse is not just name-calling or restricting someone from doing what they want to do, etc., but a total erosion of self. This is Jess Hill. She's a Walkley Award-winning investigative journalist who's written a book called See What You Made Me Do. The book is a deep dive into domestic abuse. In her research, Jess interviewed dozens of women about their first-hand experience of emotional abuse. Emotional abuse, when it happens inside what we would call domestic abuse, that can be anything from gaslighting, so denying something has happened when it just has in front of both of your eyes, or pretending something has happened that hasn't happened. But a lot of the time, emotional abuse really centres around degradation, humiliation. It can also be putting a lot of stress on the other person through things like suicide threats. And I don't mean that anybody who's suicidal is is emotionally abusive, but when it's used to keep someone in a relationship or to keep someone in a state of obligation, I think that does start to edge into the abusive territory and certainly abusers use suicide threats all the time. It's a big red flag. Controlling behaviour is another form of emotional abuse. What sort of control are we talking about? I mean, it can be, and these are definitely signs that you're in a domestic abuse relationship, so it can be deleting contacts, especially if it's a a man or woman situation, male contacts from the phone, but deleting any contacts that seem threatening. It can be telling you what to wear, telling you what to eat. It can be coercing you into 
reproducing, refusing to allow you to work. It can be sanctioning your wages, not letting you actually have any access to a bank account and being given an allowance even when you work. That controlling behaviour can also be policing what you say and do, so just always picking you up on things, not even necessarily overt bullying but just those slight degrading comments because the way that someone gets control over another person is to degrade them, is also to exhaust them. Controlling behaviour might be in the middle of the night waking you up, insisting that you talk about something in the relationship or insisting that we need to sort out this thing that happened a month ago right now. Or it could be pushing you out of bed in the middle of the night. And I've heard that from you wouldn't believe how many women. Literally, they'll just say, I was asleep. Next thing I knew, I was on the floor. I didn't understand that. I was like, what is going on there? But what's happening is the guy is stewing. Right. He's just sitting there stewing, 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 and then just attacks in the middle of the night. The controlling effect of that is... A, you can't ever be safe anywhere, right? Not even in your own bed asleep. And B, when you are exhausted, when on and on you don't have enough reserves to sort of feel like you have mental self-defences up, that's another part of being brought under another person's control. In some extreme situations, you have guys who've put all of their wives' clothes in the boot of the car and will only get certain pieces out when they ask permission. That's out at Point Piper in Sydney's richest suburb. In those situations, that strategic campaign of control, that's very different from someone who's living with someone who's just a reactive, who uses violence and abuse reactively. There's a big range of emotionally abusive behaviour, which can make it really hard to spot, especially when you're inside it, living in that relationship. Abusive behaviour can erode your identity and your trust in yourself, and it makes you feel completely crazy. You often don't know which way is up. You're trying so hard to survive every moment. It's actually so crazy what's happening to you that a lot of people don't believe you. And if there's not a lot of physical violence involved or any physical violence involved, good luck getting police interested in your case. And a lot of women will say, I just wish he would hit me to make wow, it they real. Say that. Yeah, because what they're experiencing is so terrible, but yet so difficult to get other people to understand or see as terrible. It's like being in the middle of a, a spider web. Each strand is being woven together tighter and tighter and tighter until you can't really pull one strand apart from the other and you can't really say to someone what each strand was to form the whole because you don't even know yourself. You're living in this type of fog and so trying to explain it, people just think you're nuts and also because the person who's perpetrating the violence often is not triggered into those types of, you know, controlling, dominating, humiliating behaviours outside the relationship, most people don't believe that that person's capable of it. If there's anything I want you to take from this episode, it's to be able to name emotional abuse. To rattle off the world's most depressing list of awful things, emotional abuse includes, but is not limited to, verbal attacks and threats, restricting your freedom, so for instance, subtly suggesting you spend all your time with them, 
criticising, humiliating and blaming you, bullying, extreme jealousy and controlling behaviour, so asking about your movements all the time, gaslighting, which we'll get to later in this episode, but it could be doing things like taking your keys out of your handbag and putting them somewhere else, and isolating you from your people. Oh, the isolation was one of his biggest tools. He knew that he could bring me away from my family by pointing out that they don't really like me and gradually built and grew on this division between myself and my family, which therefore moved me out of their influence into his. This is Ruth. She's in her 60s and we wanted to talk with her because her husband emotionally abused her for 40 years. They met at uni when they were both in their early 20s. He gradually eroded every relationship she had except theirs. If I didn't pay him enough attention at uni, if I had lunch with other people, he would get sooky and sulky and punish me for not spending time with him. So it just so gradually started and so subtly that I I didn't see it. So it's very subtle, isn't it? Like just sort of getting your friends to sort of be further away and your family an estrangement. It's, It's all sort of very tiny, tiny steps. And I think when I look at things, I think, am I crazy? Did I really think that? Did he really mean that? And I thought, well, I'm a bit paranoid here, a bit crazy. But with all abuse, it's a pattern of behaviours, generally not one, but many behaviours that gradually eat away at me and my sense of self. So many things he would do for me because I wasn't able to. He would drive me places because I would find the traffic too heavy or I'd have trouble getting a parking spot. And gradually I lost faith in my ability to drive. But also that was one of the isolation techniques because then he knew exactly where I was going and would bring me home. Yeah, and it seems like he's doing you a favour. He's showing you kindness, but he's not really. And that's the phenomenal messing with your head thing that goes on. Absolutely. It sounds loving, but it's not. So he was also financially controlling. So can you explain an example of what that would look like, say, for instance, back in the supermarket when you were together? Oh, yes, because he had to come with me to make sure I didn't buy anything he didn't want to buy. So when we shopped, we basically knew what we were shopping for, for the five of us. But then he'd say, oh, these chops look good or something. And I'd say, okay, that's fine. And he'd say, now, which packet looks the best? Goodness gracious, I don't care which packet. But anyway, I'd say, okay, that packet. And he said, no, I think this one looks better. Well, why ask me? But it was, again, whatever I said, he was going to contradict it. But he would say, we'll have this one if you'd like. That phrase, if you'd like, was used so much and so often to manipulate me into thinking we were doing what I wanted, when in fact, we weren't. We never did. So Ruth's emotional abuse was always sold with a smile. He was doing her a favour, doing something nice. She calls it love bombing. Love bombing is a wonderful term. I was told so often that I was the centre of his universe, that he just 
thought every waking moment was of how he could make my life better. I was perfect. He wouldn't change anything. Now, that is a real problem. So the abuse was sort of couched in kindness and smiles. Absolutely, yes. Did you feel like you were going mad? Oh, yes. Yes. But then because I had so much depression and everything... I didn't realise that that's what was causing it all because I don't have it anymore. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was a nightmare. So you ended up seeing specialists. Um, mm-hmm. what, what happened with the first psychiatrist that you saw? He treated my problems as biochemical depression and tried drug after drug and they weren't working. Of course they weren't working. So after about six years, which included telling me, oh, I must have bipolar disorder, um, he finally sent me to another psychiatrist. And, you know, you're really a mess when your shrink sends you to a shrink. But the second one, day one, said, because I I said, well, what are you going to tell me is wrong with me? And he Mm. said, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, but the relationship's a problem. And I thought, well, the relationship's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So it took, oh, he was so skilled. It took quite some time for him to gradually make me realise that what I thought was white was in fact black. The sense of who I was was so far gone that the psychiatrist suggested I get a stuffed toy. So I got a little white lamb, which I still have, and that white toy was to represent me, the real me, the me who had got lost. And each night I was to look at myself in that stuffed toy and question what was it that I did today that I didn't really want to do. One day it might be, I really wanted to have that takeaway today. We'd had a late day, I didn't want to fuss anything in the kitchen, but... He just wouldn't let me. So looking at the lamb, I started to see, little one, what was it that you missed out on today? And then I could actually cuddle it to reassure myself, to nurture myself and to realise that, hey, this is me I'm supposed to be nurturing. I am worth cuddling. So Ruth, you're 62 years old. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we didn't have language for what was going on back then. Like words like gaslighting didn't exist. Correct. So, of course, you didn't know what was going on because there was no language around it. You also, just to talk to you now, you sound like you're very smart, you're educated, you've been out in the world. Does it surprise you when you look back at, at what happened to you? I'm embarrassed when I look back at what happened. Now I'm out in the world, yeah... I guess I can just see it so clearly now. Actually, I ran into him a couple of years after everything was finished in a supermarket and we just exchanged pleasantries and in doing that I was able to pick up the types of abuse he had used for years. So he said, oh, you've still got that old jacket on. And there was a smile, sort of, but there was also the criticism underlying it. Why are you still wearing that old jacket? That is one of the very subtle ways 
that he can get inside my head. And immediately I took the jacket off. I was still so conditioned to do that. I was so well trained. I'd make a dog trainer proud, I reckon. Ruth's husband never laid a hand on her. She says he destroyed her mind, not her body. It took a psychiatrist three years to convince her that what she was living with was emotional abuse. Once the penny dropped, it only took her a few months to get away. One of the devastating parts of Ruth's story is that she was a qualified teacher who worked at prestigious schools in Melbourne, but after the abuse, she couldn't cope. She had periods of unemployment and now works in a hospital in an entry-level position. Ruth was lucky she had the resources to see a psychiatrist. But for many women, that's not an option. Often the first step is wanting to be able to be heard and be believed and being validated that this is not about you, this is about him choosing to act in this way. This is Inez Carey from 1800 Respect, the National Sexual Assault Domestic Family Violence Counselling Service. They hear from almost 200,000 people a year and 90% of those people are women. Inez says in all forms of domestic violence, there is emotional abuse. She says that emotional abuse comes up in nearly every call they get and that it's generally the first time people have disclosed the violence to anyone. We talk about it as a first disclosure and it's one of the most important moments in a woman's journey towards safety and away from danger. So we really honour and, and want to be gentle with that conversation when we're having it. And we can often say, is he also doing this? And, and a woman will say, yes, how did you know? Mm. And being able to say this is actually really common. People that use emotional violence do these things. And for many women, you know, when you're experiencing emotional violence and you're being isolated and left to feel like you don't have capacity to make decisions or that, you know, you're second-guessing your memory and your mind, being told that you're not the only one experiencing this, unfortunately, can be such a relief to know, well, if women have experienced it, they've also been able to leave it, that there is choice and options to be able to leave that kind of violence. What about if you're in this situation and your mum or your sisters or your best friends, they love your partner? And that's really common too. Anyone that uses emotional violence will typically present themselves as the greatest guy in the world um, to your friends and family members so that when you do attempt to say things aren't okay, they can say, but you know, that must be in your head because every time we see him, he's so great to you and you're so lucky to have him. Um, and that's not the fault of your friends or family members or you at all. So with emotional abuse, it's a, a lot of women say they didn't see it for what it was at first. They didn't understand what it was. And as soon as you say that word abuse, it does seem extreme. Like, so I think a lot of women say, oh, no, that's that's not what I'm experiencing. Is abuse too strong a word for this conversation? We still don't recognise emotional violence or emotional abuse as the most common and insidious form of domestic violence because it always happens alongside all of the other forms of abuse. So financial abuse is, is another example, but there's always coercion and control and emotional abuse happening. But things like, uh, do you feel unsafe in your relationship? I'm worried about you is a really good opener and a gentle opener for friends or family members. Or I've noticed sometimes that he says or does things where 
I don't feel that you're respected or that he's undermining you. Use what feels comfortable because you're more likely to be able to start the conversation if abuse and violence aren't words that you would normally use. And, you know, we don't often use those words in day-to-day conversation because we, you know, we hope to think that it's not something we have to experience. So I would say gently opening up the conversation and just sharing what you notice. Inez, talking to women who've been through gaslighting, they do often sound really scattered. Have you experienced that in your training and in your day-to-day interacting with people? When women have been gaslighted and experiencing emotional abuse, their capacity to I suppose express linear thoughts has been so disrupted and eroded. You have memory issues because you might be having a conversation and they'll say, no, no, that's not what happened. So your ability to make decisions and second guess yourself becomes really problematic because the person that's closest to you is undermining every decision and every choice that you make. Every time they go to start a conversation with their partner, he'll interrupt them. He'll say, that's not what happened. What are you talking about? You sound stupid. So if you're hearing that every day, your ability to have confidence in expressing anything is so confused. And if you're living with anxiety, if you've got sleep disturbance, it impacts on every way that you attempt to express yourself in the world. I was seeing a psychologist at the time and I remember I just had both of my hands on my head and I was crying and I said to her, I just feel like I'm losing my mind. I just felt like I was being hung over a cliff and about to be dropped. This is Diana, which isn't her real name. She separated from her ex-husband six years ago and says he emotionally abused her for 21 years. It's really hard for her to pinpoint where it all started. Oh, it's just so complicated and so Mm. layered that it's just, where is the starting point? And interweaves and it's layered and it's, yeah, and it was just so full on that um, I kind of feel like when I tell the story, I kind of go a bit all over the place. Diana was never in a happy marriage, but when she left hospital after a fairly hectic medical complication, that's when the problems really started. I told my daughter that I was, you know, going to be doing this and she said to me, Mum, do you know at the time when you came home from hospital, Dad told me that you had crazy tablets and he took her to a cupboard and pulled these tablets out. I was uh, discharged from hospital with, like, pain medication, which... I never ended up taking because it was, you know, highly addictive and I just didn't really want to be taking that. I thought if I could get by that, I I won't take it. So he took her to the cupboard, got these tablets and showed her and just said, these are mummy's crazy tablets. Wow. Yeah. I actually didn't know it was gaslighting. I just thought, what is happening here? Mm. I was cleaning up the house because, you know, it was just like, this marriage is over. Um, We're going to need to sell this house. I was going to get in and start preparing the house for sale. So I was in the kitchen, I was on my all fours, getting down into the cupboards, pulling out stuff and packing and sorting and scrubbing the floor and cleaning. And my ex-husband and my daughter was sort of in the same room. And while I'm there doing that, he was saying to my daughter, someone's crazy, someone needs her crazy tablets. And my daughter was joining in on that conversation and just going, yep, someone's crazy, someone needs her tablets. I was just absolutely 
devastated. It was like I wasn't in the room. That was like my lowest moment when I just thought, my God, what's going on here? And inside my head, I was just saying to myself, they are trying to break you down. They are trying to destroy you. Just don't let them do that. Don't show emotion. Just hang in there, hang in there, like get yourself out of here. So I just took myself out of the room, went to the other end of the house and just cried into a towel and just just couldn't believe. I just I just didn't know. I didn't know it was gaslighting. I didn't know what it was, but I just thought, this is this is this is really messed up. What is happening here? Like why is this happening to me? So besides like openly accusing you of being crazy, you can often be made to feel crazy. Oh, yeah. Did that happen in your situation? Yeah, absolutely, in lots of different ways. And he'd say things to people in my circle, all the support people in my network, my friends, my community, anyone that was there to support me, it was like we had to take them out one by one. So he'd go to them and say, you know what, I'm really worried about Diana, if there's anything that you see, because I'm really worried, I'm really concerned, if there's anything that you see, could you call me and I'll I'll come and get the kids straight away. So there was that. So he's sort of planting doubts about your sanity and the safety of your children to your friends. Absolutely. Mm. But subtly, right? So it seems like he's concerned about you. Oh, yeah, so concerned. And the thing, the really diabolical thing that he did as well, It was so cunning. He would tell stories and he would have an element of truth in it and a big fat lie. And so for anyone that was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure whether to believe this, they'd see that, oh, but I know that part of the story to be true, so the rest of it must be true. Diana, self-doubt is such a common thing in women. Were there times when you really felt like maybe he is right? Oh, I did. Maybe I am the crazy one here. Yeah, he'd say, you're crazy. You need to see a psychiatrist. There's so many things wrong with you. (laughs) And that was at the time, you know, when it was at its most intense. And I'm just thinking, well, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, you're just in such a a sea of doubt. Like there just feels like there's question marks all around you and you just doubt every single thing. But there was always a thread for me that I knew who I was, um, but I just had to hang on to that. It was a very tender grip. A few years have passed. How do you feel about it now? Oh, look, you know, you think about diamonds that are created under pressure and I kind of feel like I was put under so much pressure at that time Mm. that from that, this diamond did emerge. Gaslighting, when someone manipulates you to make you question your reality and your memory, is infuriating and so damaging. Here's the thing. Now we've got a name for it. So now we can call it out. I was really interested to know, these women that we've spoken to for this episode, after all they've been through, what's their advice for the rest of us? This is what Diana had to say. That gut instinct that you have, follow that if that's there. Or listen to the people around you. I made a lot of excuses for him. And my friends would later say, oh, I never did like him. You're always making excuses for him. So perhaps go to your really trusted friends and just go, I'm not sure about this. What are you, could you really be honest with me and tell me the brutal truth? Let's have a hard conversation because I'm just worried that maybe this is happening to me. 
and trust in those that that love you because, you know, if they love you, they'll have those hard conversations and they'll be honest with you around what they're seeing. This is Ruth, the 62-year-old. Now, of course, I'm speaking as a slightly older person. In fact, I've got my seniors card. But with our younger people coming along, it concerns me enormously that they there's such a pressure to have a relationship that women, young girls might put up with a lot. Ladies, listen to how he speaks about other women, mothers, aunties, other females they see around, friends, whatever. If he is disparaging of them for no good reason, alarm bells might need to be ringing. Because if he doesn't respect women on the whole, and you're a woman, there could be trouble down the line. It's sad, it's scary, but how he speaks and refers to other women is a huge indicator of how he's going to treat you. This is Inez from 1800 Respect on how to get back on your feet if you've experienced emotional abuse. So things like reconnecting with family and friends and people around you that bring you back your self-worth and that remind you of who you are um, and who you've always been. If that's been eroded, that takes time to rebuild. Um, If you're working or you're studying or you're engaged in social activities, reconnecting with them. Um, But physical exercise um, is really important as well because while emotional abuse is about, um, you know, attempting to control your mind, if you like. Um, Let's not forget that, you know, emotional violence and psychological abuse is a form of, is a weapon of war. Um, So it absolutely is designed to undermine everything about you. But feeling strong in your body is also really important and really empowering, you know, to get back some sense of, um, I'm a strong woman in the world or I'm a woman that can do things in the world. And and if you're thinking about making choices to leave, um, feeling strong and and healthy and well in yourself, it also supports you being able to do those things. Even just gentle walks um, that also get you out of the house and out of the space where typically this violence is occurring. And the last word goes to Jess Hill, author and investigative journalist. Actually, there's nothing to protect you from domestic abuse if you're a strong, independent woman. Nothing at all. It's just, hopefully, if you understand some of the warning signs, you might be able to get help earlier. I wish I could say that if you knew all of these signs and the red flags and everything, then you'd be safe. But from everyone that I've spoken to, I can't say that 100% for sure. I can say the more that you know, knowledge is power. It certainly helps. Knowledge is power, my friend. If you feel something isn't right about your relationship or a mate's, you can call 1800RESPECT, the National Sexual Assault, Domestic and Family Violence Counselling Line and Referral Service. That number, if you want it in real numbers, is 1800 737732. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or chat with them online at 1800respect.org.au. They're there to confidentially support people who've been emotionally abused, as well as their friends and family. And if you know someone who needs to hear this podcast, grab their phone and show them how to subscribe.
You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steith. And our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. 